I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And we'll read verses 33 through 40. If you're using one of the Bibles here, it should be on page 513. So Psalm 119, beginning at verse 33. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. I'm going to turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44. You should find that on page 893 in the back of the hymnal we sang from. We'll be looking at questions 114 and 115 from Lord's Day 44. And these questions provide us with a conclusion uh, to the Ten Commandments, right? We've been dealing for at least the past 10 weeks, probably 11 or 12 weeks, on the Ten Commandments, uh, in which our duty is laid before us. What is our duty as Christians uh, toward God and toward our neighbor? And uh, here... Uh, we come to a conclusion. Pastor Paul last week had preached on the 10th commandment, and now these last two questions are going to again summarize the law, and it's going to speak to us and remind us the use of the law in the Christian life uh, today, in your life today. So question 114, I'll read the question and we'll respond together uh, with the answer. Question 114, but can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No, In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. Question 115. Since no one in this life can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that all our life long we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and thus more eagerly seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that we may never stop striving and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that we may be renewed more and more after the image of God until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. So far from the catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, just a few reminders as we think about the Ten Commandments uh, one last time, at least in the catechism here. And you recall that this section of the catechism is the section of gratitude, right? The catechism began with guilt, uh, began with our sin and our misery, how the law of God reveals to us these things. 
And then how then we are pointed to the, uh, the grace of God in Jesus Christ in saving us, right? The big, middle, meaty section of the catechism pointing us away from ourselves and away from any earthly savior to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who truly can take me from a state of sin and misery and then elevate me to a position of, of uh, being an heir to life everlasting and righteous in him, right? From sin and misery to heir of life everlasting and righteous. This is what Jesus Christ accomplishes apart from anything that we might contribute. There's nothing that we give, but, oh, by, but by faith alone, we look to Jesus Christ, receive him, all of his benefits, and are made heirs of life eternal. Now, in this section of the, gratitude, of, of the uh, catechism, uh, we come to the law again, not as, again, revealing our guilt, but as a, as a rule of gratitude for our lives. The law, then, is meant to be that which we delight ourselves in as we know our God as one who has loved us and shown his grace towards us and has given his son for us. And now we respond to that with gratitude as God's law then becomes not something that I constantly need uh, to measure myself up against and constantly finding myself failing, and, but as a rule of gratitude. And it's this what we, is what we see reflected in Psalm 119. We read just one section of Psalm 119. But right throughout the psalm, we find the psalmist himself delighting in the law of the Lord. Now, of course, the psalmist knew he was not yet perfect. Uh, the psalmist knew that he had sin in his life. Uh, the psalmist knew that he had not yet reached the, the ultimate goal that God had set for him. And yet, in the state that he was in, and according to the grace that God had shown him, he delighted himself in the law of the Lord. And that's something that we ourselves, even as the catechism calls us to do, uh, were to pray for. And we ourselves are to find in our own life as well a rule of gratitude for us. And now as we conclude the Ten Commandments, uh, at least again from the catechism here, um, I want us to think about uh, the, the Christian life in these terms as the catechism lays them out for us and the use of the law in our life. That the Christian life is a small beginning with a perfect ending. So as you think about your life and as you reflect upon yourself as a Christian in Christ, what the catechism tells us is that your Christian life has a small beginning with a perfect ending. And those are going to be our two points, right? The small beginning and then secondly, the perfect ending to the Christian life. And so first, a small beginning. Notice what the catechism says in question 114 again. Can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly, right? Um, as these have been laid out for us, and, and they've been opened up in terms of what is forbidden of us to engage in, what is required of us to do, um, as we have them laid out before us, can we say that any of us, even converted, born again in Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, can keep these laws perfectly? And of course the answer in this life is no. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of obedience. A small beginning of obedience. Now, on the one hand, this should greatly comfort us. It should greatly comfort us. Because, again, we might hear God's law and then say, well, perfection is required. And, of course, it is. 
But I don't find that perfection in my own life. I don't find myself uh, conquering every sin and living a perfect, holy life. And so the Catechism's answer, reflecting the truths of Scripture, become very comforting to us, even the holiest. Right? Even those whom we point to and think that they might be the most godly, godliest person I know, even they have but a small beginning. And it's a comparison here in, some, in many ways. Because while we might make certain strives and while we might make, make certain progress, what awaits us in perfection and glory far surpasses what we experience today in terms of our sanctification. We make but a small uh, beginning of this obedience. And this is what God puts before us and he recognizes in his word. Right, this idea of saying, well, I have no sin, the Apostle John says that you're a liar, right? God knows that we still have sin in our lives that we need to deal with and put to death. But our Christian life today, all of us here make, at best, a small beginning of this obedience. So on the one hand, this comforts us, especially for us who may despair, especially us who might feel the weight and the crushing weight of God's law. For for those of us who feel that, this is a great comfort. But for those of us who may be proud, uh, those of us who may be self-righteous, this commandment also begins, this uh, answer begins to humble us as well. Right, we, we can recognize that as I begin to compare myself to other people, my own life is but a small beginning. M- my own life is but a small beginning. And, and so who am I to begin judging the small beginnings of another Christian's life as well? To hold myself up as if I've made it much farther. I mean, you might think of a race, say it's 100 meters. And you yourself might picture yourself as having run maybe 30, 30 meters and you look down upon the person who's only 20 meters, you know, 10 meters behind you. You've 70 meters still to go. Like, who are you to be in a position, right? And that's just even assuming you've made that much more progress than your brother or your sister, right? Again, this, this provides us with a way of viewing ourselves and not despairing, but also viewing one another and not growing self-righteous in comparison, comparing ourselves uh, to one another. We all make, in, in this life, but a small beginning of this obedience. And therefore we shall not despair, but continue to press on and strive and pray, as the catechism goes on to say. But we're also not to grow self-righteous and proud. Rather, we are to recognize properly our sanctification in this life is but a small beginning. But it's a small beginning, yet... It's a beginning nonetheless, right? This isn't meant to be just an excuse then, right? To say, well, okay, it's, it, I only make a small beginning, so I have excuses for uh, allowing sin to linger and allowing sin to grow and fester in my life. No, it's a small beginning, but it's a beginning nonetheless. As the Catechism says, nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin, right, those converted in Christ, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's uh, commandments, right? So the point here is not to say that, well, I can begin to sort of compartmentalize my life 
and say, well, I've only made a small beginning here, but this part, portion I'll deal with another time, or it's excusable. Again, what God requires of us is our whole selves, heart, mind, soul, strength, all of it geared and, uh, and, and seriously purposed towards obedience to God, loving him with all of it. And so while the Christian life is a small beginning, it is a beginning nonetheless. And therefore, as we hear the commandments given to us, as they deal with every facet of our life, from our duty towards God, from our duty towards our neighbor, we recognize that none of it is meant for a later time, or none of it is excusable, but all of it is meant to begin to shape and transform me uh, even uh, today. And so, the Christian life is but a small uh, beginning, and, but it's a beginning nonetheless. And therefore, um, we need to have, again, this proper view of ourselves. And I think this contrasts with um, something that's, I guess, popular today, and it seems to spread, especially on the internet, uh, some of the worst place to get your theology, though there's plenty of good things as well. Um, but um, you get various um, holiness movements, where uh, this idea sounds humble. For example, I had written down this, this sentiment where we often will say, well, this is a, a spiritually sensitive, godly statement. I cannot obey God for one nanosecond of my life. And we might say, well, that's, that's a godly statement, right? You're, you're very aware of your sin. I cannot obey God for one nanosecond of my life. And this idea that everything I do is but filthy rags before God. Everything I do is tainted, sinful, and deserves to be thrown into hell. And it's this common, a common view of holiness. And often it gets confused as being something that is godly and mature. But the problem with that statement, I cannot obey God for one nanosecond of my life, is that it's not true of the Christian It's not true of you. You can. Now, yes, it's not absolutely perfect from a a heart of pure motives uh, in accordance perfectly with God's will for your life, with the goal of glorifying God without any other um, uh, desire involved. But yet, we do make a beginning. The Spirit is at work in you. Jesus Christ has given you His Spirit. And therefore, we do make but a small beginning uh, in the Christian life, right? We have, as as we're reminded throughout the scriptures, been washed by the water of regeneration, as as Timothy tells Titus, and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We do make but a small beginning. And so, this idea that everything I do as a Christian is but filthy rags— ends up dishonoring the work of Jesus Christ. And it ends up actually being much more focused on yourself than on Christ. And maybe that's kind of the, the hinge. That's, that's kind of the main idea here. We focus purely on our own shortcomings and not upon the work of Jesus Christ in our life as well. You do make a beginning. It is small, but it is a beginning none the less. Much more could be said on that, but I think we get the point here, right? We, may, we have made a beginning. 
And so the Christian life, as we said earlier, is a small beginning, but with a perfect ending. And that's our second point, a perfect ending. And this is what uh, question 115 gets at for us as well, the perfect ending. Since no one in this life, it asks, can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? And it gives us two reasons why, right? What's then God's, the law of God in my life? What's it, why, why is it there? What's, it, what's its use? Well, first, it's there not so that I might become morbidly introspective, right? It's not there that I might be able to say every nanosecond of my life is sin lived unto God. It's there, first and foremost, that I might look to Jesus, Right, that, that's, the, that's the point here. And that's also the point, but also the, can become the problem. Where, where the law now becomes something where I just judge myself and view myself. And either I see myself as righteous, self-righteous, or I despair. But the law instead is intended to constantly point me away from myself to look to the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ, to look to him by faith. Notice what the answer of the catechism says. First, that all our life long, we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and, those more, and thus more eagerly <clears throat> seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Right? That's where it's moving us, to Christ. And notice, not just to look to him from afar, but to seek them in him, to to flee to him, uh, to lean wholly upon him, uh, to trust him, to believe upon him. We'll say more about this in the second service, but right, what is faith? Well, it's an instrument by which you grab hold of Jesus Christ. By, By faith, you embrace Jesus Christ and all his righteousness and seek nothing else outside of him because he is a sufficient, whole savior. Right? Faith is that instrument that holds and grabs hold of, of Christ. And so the law then, it's not opposed in this sense to faith, but rather it calls us to faith in Christ that we might be, in fact, in Christ. And therefore, when we think about the law of God, we are never to think about it, Calvin kind of put it this way, we're never to think about the law as naked, uh, kind of maybe a startling word to hear, right? We're never to think about the law as naked, but clothed in Christ. Law, the law never comes to you as a Christian apart from Christ and his righteousness and his spirit. The law does not come to you, and we should never think about the law apart from Jesus Christ. Because when we do, we will despair because the law is a heavy taskmaster. The law stands outside of us, telling us what to do, but not enabling us to do it. But when the law comes to us in Christ, we have the power of Christ's Spirit then to follow after that law, to make a beginning, and to strive uh, for obedience unto God. Therefore, we should never think about the law apart from Christ. And so the law, its purpose in your life, the use of it is that you might look to Christ and rest in him and trust in his righteousness and the forgiveness of sins that you find in his cross. 
But secondly, the second use of the law is that it might uh, lead us and cause us then to strive and pray for perfection. Remember, the Christian life is a small beginning but a perfect ending. Notice what the Catechism says. Second, so that we may never stop striving ceaselessly, right, striving, never stop praying, ceaselessly praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that we may be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection, right? Notice the language here, right? Previously in question 114, it says, in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience, And then question 115 ends, until after this life, we reach our goal, perfection. The hinge, the point of ultimate transformation for the Christian is found in death or when Christ returns and transforms our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. This is the great transition. And until that day, until we reach that goal of perfection, We are, as the Catechism says, to be ceaselessly striving and ceaselessly praying to God. Striving, earlier the Catechism had said in Lord's Day 12, when it said that we share in Christ's anointing as prophet, priests, and kings, it says as kings we are to fight and strive against our sin in this life. Christ has enabled us to put our sin to death, to wage war against that which is waging war against our soul. And that's only by sharing in Christ's anointing. And so we strive ceaselessly. We don't become complacent. We don't become just indifferent to sin. It's something that we strive for. Again, not to obtain the grace of God that's already given to us, but rather from gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. And the desire that he has placed in our hearts uh, to be with him in glory. That we are truly a new creation in Christ. Those who have been fitted for glory and for heaven. We have been raised with Christ already. And therefore, we strive with all of our strength unceasingly in this life. And not only are we to strive as kings, but we are also to be praying without ceasing as well. Now the catechism in the next Lord's Day and those following are going to open up uh, the Lord's Prayer for us. What it then might look like in our lives to be praying without ceasing and what that might look like. So I'm not going to flesh this out um, more than we're going to deal with in future weeks. Uh, But prayer is to be something that we are constantly engaged in as we seek to grow and be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not make progress. We will not mature because maturity is something held out to the Christian, right? It's not a matter of constantly just being in a single state, but pressing on to maturity, growing in godliness, growing in grace and in knowledge. These things are put before us, and, and, and what we're told throughout Scripture is that we will make no progress in these things if we are not praying. We are to be praying without ceasing. And again, this is why uh, Psalm 119 is so um, helpful for us uh, to think about this. 
The, the whole psalm in so many ways is itself a prayer. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Confirm to your servant your promise. And so on. Have you prayed such prayers before? A helpful exercise. I haven't done this recently, but I remember um, a while ago, um, working through Psalm 119, right? It's broken up into various sections, um, each uh, with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet with very similar requests and prayers made to the Lord. Uh, But maybe before you read God's word, or maybe you wake up in the morning, read one of the sections of Psalm 119 and pray it back to the Lord. That it might be your prayer for that day. Lord, today teach me the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. A simple prayer, but the Lord loves to answer such prayers for his people who truly uh, desire uh, these things. And so the Christian life is a small beginning with a perfect ending. And this perfect ending, as we strive and as we pray, we do so with the confidence that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As we strive, as we pray, we have confidence, we have assurance, and we have hope. And we keep our eyes fixed on that uh, goal that is before us. And so I want to conclude with just reading a few verses of this goal uh, that is yours and this future that is yours in Christ. Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 4, we find that God has purposed this from eternity past. There Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God purposed this from before the foundation of the world, that in Christ we might be holy and blameless. And later, you might say, how might have God accomplished this purpose of his? <clears throat> Ephesians five twenty five and 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, he might present you to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Right? The, the picture here is of a wedding scene when the doors in the back swing open, right? And the bride dressed in all white appears. That's, that's the image here of the church being presented uh, to her husband, to the Lord Jesus Christ, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we might be holy and without blemish. And finally, the Apostle John then sees that day, right? Purposed by God in eternity past, accomplished by Christ, and who in being accomplished by Christ. And now John, the apostle, sees that future day. He says this in Revelation 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And John goes on to say that that city descending is the church. It's you, the people of God, together. And then finally he says in verse 7 of chapter 21, In that city nothing unclean will ever enter, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. A small beginning, but a perfect ending, a a fairy tale ending, a true ending, presented spotless before our God. And therefore, we are in this life to strive to pray and to do so with this hope. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, as we think about our own lives and as we fight against sin in this life and put it to death and and strive for holiness and obedience, uh, Father, may we not mistake in you uh, for one who is miserly, uh, one uh, who is constantly on edge, uh, ready to Uh, lash out against your people for disobedience. But Father, you are, as you have said, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so Father, may we, as we seek obedience to you, do so from a heart of gratitude and a heart of adoration for who you are as our Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.